Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Vu Tran, who's the co-founder and chief growth officer of GoOne, an online learning platform which helps businesses provide onboarding, compliance, and professional development training to their staff. The company is based in Australia and has experienced rapid growth since it started six years ago, and now has offices on almost every continent. Vu is also a medical doctor, and somehow, despite his very busy job, still finds time to see patients, and he's actually joining us today from his own clinic. Before we get started, I'd like to give a shout out to Andrew Barnes, the co-founder and CEO of GoOne, who connected me with Vu, and then our own data engineer at Osmosis, Ashwin Menon, who's friends with Andrew, and they met uh, while Rhodes Scholars at Oxford. So Vu, with that, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to join you today. So our audience is primarily current and future healthcare professionals like you. And I'm just curious, how does a medical doctor go on to co-found one of the hottest education tech companies out there? Look, um, I, I'm really blessed to be able to do something that I really love and I enjoy. I work with my best mates. You mentioned Andrew before. We've been best friends since high school. So, you know, we've spent our entire adult lives while going to university, doing the different degrees we did. I did medicine, he did economics, and went on and he did a road scholarship at Oxford. While we were doing all of this, we still ran different professional services and tech companies. So we've always been involved in tech. We started our first company when we were 16, you know, still in high school. So at the end of the day, for me, you know, we're also typical generation Y. We want to have our cake and eat it too. You know, it's not a matter of can we run, uh, you know, a global scale up or go to university. It's a matter of how do we do both. And the thing I love most about working with Andrew, and, and I'm biased because he is my best mate, he never asked me, can we do something? The question he always asked me is, how do we do something? And I hate it when he asks me that because when he asks me that question, he forces me to problem solve and work out how we solve a situation and not just give an answer as no, we can't, or yes, we can. And I, and I love that about working with him. That's great. I mean, I can relate. My, my best friend is Ryan, who's my co-founder at Osmosis. So I think it's wonderful to go into business uh, with people who are like-minded and, and, and who we actually like to hang out with. Uh, exactly. Spending 80, 90, 100, 120 hours a week with them, right, as you're starting the company. Well, and you open up a newspaper or, or TechCrunch, because not many people open up newspapers these days, and you'll read about some of the successes we've had as a company as GoOne. But what they don't talk about is the challenges that you run into. You know yourself as a startup, as a founder, you know, for every victory that gets publicized, there are probably a thousand downsides you've had to go through. And for me, being able to share that with someone who I've got a great working relationship with, but a great friendship with, it's having someone next to you in those hard times that has been most important, right? You know, you asked the question before, you know, how did I go from medicine to doing what we do today? But I I think it's more so going, um, like I wanted to do both and they're both very strongly related. Um, you work in medical education. So at the end of the day, uh, we come from a profession where see one, do one, teach one is the core of what we do. And so for me, that ability to be able to uh, help teach one, whether it be to other medical professionals, which is not what we do at the moment, or to anyone in the world is really, really important. We think that you know, learning is the way that you change the world. Totally. Uh, can, can you talk a bit more about kind of how you chose medicine and what type of medicine you practice um, as well, just so our audience gets a bit of a viewpoint on how does someone who's a medical doctor also manage a startup? To give you a bit of context, so my parents are Vietnamese refugees. They came to Australia during the early 80s. So we're very much a migrant family. And my brothers and sister are both doctors as well. And I'm the youngest in my family by 10, 12 and 14 years. 
they're family physicians or general practitioners, and my sister's a pathologist now. So, you know, as the youngest in the family, my parents actually didn't mind what I did because my siblings had already uh, been there, done that. So mum and dad didn't really mind what I chose to do. And so I had a very low pressure upbringing, which meant that I actually chose to do medicine. Um, and I'm not saying my siblings didn't. But for me, while I was going through towards the end of high school, I said, I want to work in a career that could make a difference, right? I want to do something that can make a difference. And, and that's really important. And that actually led me on to what we do in Go One because I thought to myself, as a doctor, I can do, make a difference, you know, on a day-to-day basis with those I see, but how do I do that at scale? So to share with you my journey in a nutshell, I did undergraduate medicine, which is very rare, um, at least here in Australia. I then did my internship and residency at the Royal Brisbane Hospital here in Queensland. And then from there, I did my fellowship in general practice, where I did a three-year fellowship uh, to actually get my general practice qualifications and my fellowship. So, you know, like everyone who's on this journey who may be listening, it's a long journey. You know, I've spent the good part of 10 years of my life um, dedicated to learning and I'm going to spend the next 10 to 20 years still dedicated to learning, both in the medical profession and outside of it. That's amazing. And so before we go into more of what Go One does, um, you know, COVID has obviously hit all of our countries and the entire planet pretty hard. We'd love to hear kind of what you've been seeing down in Australia because we don't often have uh, guests from your country. When I look at what's happening around the world, um, I'm very fortunate to be a doctor who practices in Australia during what's been going on with COVID. So, you know, we've, we've had just on 100 deaths across the country. That's it, right? Because by the nature of our country and where we are and what we do, we're an island nation, which means that the ability to shut down borders was actually uh, quite easy. The government also acted quite quickly to put in place um, everything from shutting the borders to contact tracing to social distancing. So as a healthcare professional, like, you know, for me, we're very apolitical as, as a profession. But one of the things that I'd throw out there is that governments at all levels in our country actually moved really, really quickly. I had a plan with my wife where I said, if they needed me, I would have put Go One aside and I'd be there and, and I was ready to work five to seven days a week if, if the numbers were going to be as scary as they were talking about. And we had, I've got a young child. So our plan was I was actually going to rent an Airbnb up the road so that I wouldn't be coming home and potentially exposing it to my wife and kid. So we had all these crazy drastic plans in place ready to, you know, put on the, put on your boots and go out there and, and, and help out. And none of that eventuated, thankfully, for where we are here. So we're really, we're really lucky in Australia because they moved quickly. And then I think the last component of it is that we actually do have a pretty good healthcare system, which I'm very fortunate to be part of. That's, that's amazing. I'm really glad to hear that. Since you've been practicing in the healthcare system, I'm curious, do you think there are going to be any lasting effects uh, for your healthcare system because of COVID? Yeah. Definitely. I mean, we've got universal healthcare here in Australia, which means that even though we do have private healthcare, a large majority of our healthcare system is funded by the government, which is fantastic. And I think to an extent, we really take it for granted. Um, I'm not saying that just as a healthcare uh, provider, but also as a citizen as well. We have an expectation. One of our prime ministers almost lost his job when he suggested that people pay a $5 co-payment to go see a doctor. I know if you're listening to this, uh, there was almost a revolt. The flip side of it for me is that as COVID-19 like in Australia, just like everywhere else in the world, resulted in significant lockdowns and not just lockdowns, you know, within workplaces, but within hospitals as well. So elective surgeries, waiting lists, all those sorts of things, you put that on hold for three months and then you have to get the machinery opening up again. But then the second part of it is that cancers don't stop growing, you know, 
heart attacks don't stop occurring, right? There, there's all of these things that we are going to have as the, what I'd call a hangover from COVID-19, despite getting through it quite well, where there's the direct impacts of outbreaks. But then there's the second part of it is what's all the healthcare that's been deferred, a credit card, if you will, that we're going to have to start paying off. And it's going to take a long time. And I'm not talking about in terms of dollars. I'm talking about in terms of the healthcare that we've deferred over this period of time. So will there be an impact? Definitely. Not in terms of directly from infections from COVID-19, but in terms of deferral on treatment in our healthcare system. So I think that's a very important thing to watch. We don't know where that's going to land. Uh, definitely. That's happening globally and definitely is the US experience I can speak to. So switching gears to Go One, could you tell us a bit more about what the company actually does, how you chose the name, and also kind of the plans you may be having in healthcare? Because I know we've spoken a bit in the past about how maybe even some hospitals are looking at Go One to train staff. I'm, I'm going to explain it in a very startup way. Think of us as the Spotify for workplace learning, okay? So we aggregate tens of thousands of courses from providers all over the world and short online courses through to very, very long ones that focus on almost any workplace or professional development or learning topic you can think of. But much like Spotify, we don't produce a single piece of our content. That's not what we do. Our role is to be able to aggregate content and bring suppliers and connect them to customers. We're a B2B company, so we don't sell direct to consumer. What we do is we work with workplaces. And it's really important because we've got a firm belief that choice and variety is actually going to be a key component to driving curiosity around learning. Because if you think about how we consume content outside of our day-to-day -day lives, outside of work, I mentioned Spotify before. You know, I've got people who work in my company who have never bought a CD before. That makes me feel a bit old. And so when I give this analogy to them, they give me these quizzical looks. But you used to go to a record store and buy a physical record. And I know they, they exist still now. But then with the digitization of music, you had online marketplaces like iTunes where you can go and purchase music a la carte. And then today we have the likes of Spotify and Apple Music, where again, for a single subscription, you've got access to whatever music you want. I don't have to give you the parallels with say Netflix and Disney Plus. So at the end of the day for us, we look at ourselves as that subscription aggregator for workplace learning. And that covers a broad amount of skills, but also different uh, industries as well. So whether it be healthcare, because you've got lots of regulatory requirements, but it's also about professional development of staff, which people don't really think about too often. At the end of the day, skills are what's going to allow us to adapt to a post-COVID-19 world. We're going to have more jobs than our parents did in our lifetimes. So as a result of that, being able to be focused on skills over qualifications is really important. If I look at myself, my qualification is as a doctor and as a family physician. That is not transferable to what I do in Go One. But the skills that I've developed in medicine have actually been highly transferable to what I do in Go One in running a startup. And, and if I can put this on just as a side note to you, one of the biggest things I deal with in general practice is mental health, drug addiction, and domestic violence. They're really big issues that are just growing in our society no matter where you are. I deal with a lot with that in general practice. Last year, we rolled out domestic violence awareness training to 250,000 public servants in our state. So when I talk to you about being able to use what I do in Go One to make a difference at scale, that's where my sort of two worlds start to come together and that I can actually start using the tools that we have available to make a difference to, to things that I'm passionate about in the medical world. That's a, that's a wonderful explanation and good analogy as well. So I totally relate to you about the scale. One thing that made me pause my own medical journey and start osmosis was interest in dissociating my time from my impact 
Um, and one of my favorite things uh, early on when I was, you know, we were like a five person company or 10 person company was when I woke up in the morning, and I looked at the user logs and I saw while I was sleeping, people in Australia were using osmosis. And now it's obviously reached a lot more scale there. Can you tell me a bit more about kind of GoOne's applications in, in healthcare as well? I mean, you obviously, you know, help with domestic violence training uh, for public servants. Are other physicians, uh, nurses, PAs using GoOne courses so, right now? So there's, there's a lot of different things. So if you think about in the United States or in the United Kingdom or in Australia, healthcare is highly regulated. And in the United States, it's regulation at a federal level, but also at a state level as well. So for us, it's actually as an aggregator, we don't have to create the content when it comes to meeting each state's healthcare regulations. All we have to do is go out and source it. So what we'll say to people, if it exists, we'll find it for you. So you might come to me and go, Vu, I actually run a healthcare company in Alaska and they've got really specific compliance training for Alaskans. So can you help me find that? And the answer is yes. So unlike your traditional provider where you'd have to go to them and they'd have to create it and they'd say yes or no, for us, if it exists, we'll find it for you. So the first part of it is, and I'm speaking very broadly about this, is around that sort of regulatory component. And that's fine. That's great. That's really important. But there's all the skills that you don't learn at medical school and you don't learn on the job as a resident that are going to be really important as well. I'll give you one great example. Microsoft Excel training. What relevance does that have to a doctor? I can tell you that going through the journey that I've been on, so many of my colleagues who have had to go and do PhD and do research have actually had to sit there and have asked me a thousand times how to do different pivot tables as an example, right? So you've got to think about your core skills as a doctor or as a physician or as a medical student, but then you've got to think of those other skills that are actually going to be required that physicians 20 years ago didn't need. And those skills are actually quite broad and those skills are actually quite specific to other industries. So being able to pick and choose and you don't know what you don't know until you need to know it, having them available is really important. But I'll go to a different area as well. I spoke about how I think medicine's really complemented what I do in Go One, And in Go One, one of the main areas that I work on is sales, is, is customer acquisition. And it's going, well, how does medicine match up to sales? Like, how does that work, Right. At the end of the day, guys, if you're, if you're studying medicine or if you're working as a doctor, if I could hire the best salespeople in the world, I would hire my friends who I went to university with because they have some of the best sales skills. They just don't know it yet. I can't afford them because they're all cardiologists and, and obstetricians and gynecologists, so we can't afford them on our sales team. But I'll tell you this. As a doctor, your job is to be able to take a history, diagnose a problem, come up with a plan, but most importantly, to make sure that the patient buys into your plan so that you have the ability to be able to get that, you know, they, they trust you enough to be able to do that. We do that in the sales world as well. I guarantee you that many people listening to this have met what they call good doctors and bad doctors. And their definition of a good or a bad doctor wasn't based on their knowledge, skill, or how they applied it. It was actually based on how they communicated to you as a patient and how they got you to buy into things. Here in, here in Australia right now, we're in winter. Put aside COVID, cold and flu season is occurring right now. And traditionally, the best sale I can make as a family physician is to have someone like you, Shiv, come in and see me, think that you've got a chest infection and you need antibiotics. And for me to be able to point out to you that it is a viral infection, and all the antibiotics in the world won't make a difference. And have you walk out of this office with nothing other than some advice on symptomatic management and feel satisfied with the care I've given you. The flip side of it is you'll have someone who'll give you a script for antibiotics just to get you out the door. So I think those skills are incredibly important. And I think the healthcare system shouldn't underestimate those complementary skills that are non, I guess, core, traditionally core to being a healthcare worker. Can't agree with you more. I mean, um, two points on that. One is 
I hundred percent see how some of the skills you're learning in terms of coaching uh, and behavioral change, when you learn that as a clinician, are transferable to sales and building that relationship, gaining that trust that you have to gain as a as a clinician with your patient uh, or as a salesperson with your client. And so, I wrote an article for Entrepreneur a couple of years back called "Why Med Schools Are Pumping Out Entrepreneurs" because some of the best entrepreneurs I know are people who went through medical training, and you know while a lot of Physicians are fairly risk averse. You know, it's partially why a lot of them do choose this profession that's pretty recession proof and pretty guaranteed. The ability to focus and run a marathon instead of a sprint, like you have to do to be an entrepreneur and to be a physician. And the second thing is, uh, you know, our vision is to create a more caring world by developing the most caring people. I think the soft, so called soft skills are not viewed with as much prestige as the traditional like research-based academic medicine, which are very knowledge-based, but the soft skills are what's gonna make all the difference for public health as we're finding with COVID. How do you convince somebody that they should be wearing a mask uh, or to wash their hands and not touch their face? It's really that stuff, not not a magical cure right now that's gonna make the biggest difference in you know, viral load and, and uh, how COVID affects our population. So couldn't agree with you more on both those points of view. I mean, people are gonna remember how, the, how you made them feel, not what you did if that makes sense. And I think, you know, you're so right in terms of, you know, what that next generation of, of physician and clinician that comes through the skills they're going to need to be successful as well and how you gauge that success. Um, one of the things that I'd think about is, uh, and we we're just talking about kind of making a difference at scale before Andrew likes to throw out the quote from Archimedes, give me a lever long enough and I will turn the world. And for us, we think that that lever is education and that fulcrum that you turn that lever is technology. And so that's another way to be able to explain, I guess, how we believe that this is, this is going to make a difference at scale as well. So speaking of scale, can you tell us a bit more about the scale that GoOne has, has reached? I know you just closed a really great round a couple of weeks ago. Um, yep. And then also, uh, two-part question, how has COVID affected demand for GoOne? Yeah, I mean, so I might start off with the first bit. So, you know, we, we, we measure success in engagement, not necessarily in terms of fundraising, but I'll walk you through it in the background. So we started in 2015, uh, three guys in a basement where we are still now. We're not in the basement, but we, we've bought the building in the building next door and, and expanded our company. I think we're almost at 300 staff globally across 10 offices here in Australia, as you mentioned, in Southeast Asia, the US, Europe, South Africa. And one of the things that it comes back to for us is that We've scaled quite quickly over the last few years, even though for me, it feels like it's been quite a long journey. The flip side of it is that we've also had lots of success in being able to get engaged investors on board. So one of our earliest investors was a company called Seek, which is based here in Australia, which is a, a job board uh, similar to Indeed. Um, they've got over 121 million users globally. Then our Series B was led by Microsoft. So when we have someone like Microsoft sort of validating to an extent what we do, um, it's really, really exciting. So they led our Series B. And our Series C, which was a 40 million US dollar round, which was just announced last month, was led by uh, Madrona Ventures, which is based over in Seattle. And they, as an example, have a very good pedigree. They've been around for 25, 30 years. They were one of the very first investors in a small company called Amazon. So for us, you know, we're very privileged to be able to have the investors that we have on board. As a company, the best way to, for me to be able to describe it to you is every 1.3 seconds, someone is finishing training fire go one. So in other words, during this conversation we're having today, one to 2,000 people during this call will have finished some form of training through us. And when we talk about making a difference at scale, that's the sort of scale I want to kind of get to. The next step is to break that one second mark and then drive it even further. That's amazing. That's a great way to 
describe the impact you guys are having. So, and then as far as COVID, how is that? Yes. <laughs> so, you know, we've been one of the, and I want to make sure that I communicate this in the right way. COVID for me has been tragic in terms of being able to see all the things that have happened around the world, but organizationally um, our demand has skyrocketed. We've seen it as a great accelerator. So we knew that online learning was coming. We knew that we, that's why we're in the business. We knew that market was going to grow, but to be very cliche, we've probably seen two years of acceleration of adoption in two months, if that makes sense. You know, Italy, as an example, was never in our top 10. They became our fourth highest consumer of content during lockdown in March. So it's accelerated a lot of the digital adoption. And I'm sure you guys might have, might have seen it as well because of the fact that people had to make differences. Um, if you speak to one of the largest universities here in Australia pre-COVID and said to them, how long would it take for you to go digital? I guarantee you they would have said to you about four or five years. In reality, it took them two weeks to go fully digital. So for me, when your back's up against the wall, you actually accelerate and become better at what you do. Yeah, totally. We've seen similar kind of tailwinds um, because it, your people are forced to do it uh, for public health reasons. And, and they hopefully it'll stick because people will realize that this is a more convenient and more cost-effective way of doing things. A hundred percent. Like I look at it, I've got, I've got younger cousins who are also at medical school at the moment. And, you know, I was talking to them yesterday and they're like, hey, we use osmosis. They use you guys. Like, you know, Claudia QV, if you're listening, it's a shout out to you guys because I know you're about to go into exams. And this is what it comes back to. These guys are using your technology on the other side of the world to prepare them to become tomorrow's doctors. You know, that's the cool thing that's, ha that's happening. They're not sitting there looking at a textbook, sitting in a, in a lecture theater somewhere. They're actually having to adapt to working from home by themselves once lectures are canceled and they have to have a way to be able to communicate and upskill with people. I know we're coming up in time and you have patience to see. So my last question is, uh, you know, we have so many early career health professionals who, who use osmosis who are in our audience. What's your advice to them? about meeting the challenges of the COVID moment, as well as approaching their careers in healthcare? So around COVID, I think it's about being safe and understand that it is a marathon, not a sprint. So you can't be a cowboy, you can't be gung-ho. You've got to think about preserving yourself, your family, your own personal health, your own personal mental health. Because at the end of the day, if you want to be able to make a difference, which is what all of us got into this profession for, you need to be here in five years time, 10 years time, 20 years time. So self-preservation is one of the first things I'm going to throw out there because that's how you make a difference over a long term. The second thing that I'd throw out there in terms of, I guess, just general advice for uh, you know, people who are starting out in their careers as, as, as doctors and doing what they want to do and even considering entrepreneurship, my advice to you is really simple. Right now is the time to be taking that risk and doing something that makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Because in medicine, from your first day of medical school, it's one of the only professions where from your first day of medical school, you could potentially plan out the next 30 years of your life. You know, I'm going to go through, do my university degree, get honours, do a PhD, become an orthopaedic surgeon, work my way up, get a private list. And by the time I'm 45, I've got a private practice where I'm doing this number of surgeries and I'm in semi-retirement. And what I'd say to you is that you become more risk averse as you get older. But the thing is, early on is actually when you're less willing to take those risks. And I think you should flip it on its head. Before you get bored or before you realize that, you know, you should be doing more in your, your 40, 50 or 60, do that now when you're in your 20s or 30s and do it now and actually find something you love and experiment and understand and go, you know what, I tried starting a business when I was in medical school or two years after finishing medical school 
and I realized it wasn't for me. Do that now rather than 10, 20 years from now uh, where you've got more on your plate and the ability to take those risks is decreased. So I'd say, you know, to quote Nike, just do it. <laughs> that's, that's incredible advice. And I couldn't agree more having taken a gap year before med school and got my first taste of entrepreneurship then. So is there anything else you wanted to add? Any, any final words or? No, look, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk to you guys and, and to be able to you know, share a bit of our story. I think one of the important things, I just want to reiterate the fact that um, I really do hope that everyone who is listening to this, wherever you are in the world, that you're actually thinking about looking after yourself. As clinicians, we're crap at looking after ourselves, whether it be physically and eating right, whether it be mentally and checking in ourselves. So the one bit of it, the other thing I'd just share with everyone who's listening is, yes, think about yourself, but also think about the person next to you. In Australia, we have something called Are You OK Day, where you ask someone that you know, someone you're working with, are they OK? And my bit of advice to anyone who's listening to this is um, take the time, particularly given everything that's going on at the moment, to actually ask your colleagues, your friends, your family members, whatever, Ask them, are you okay? Because I think it's an important thing to do. That's a great note to end on. And at Osmosis, we care about that as well. And we actually have a, a, a link I'll point our users to, which is osmosis.org forward slash care. It's our Care for Caregivers initiative where it's all about what Vu was saying and taking care of yourself and taking care of those around you because this is a marathon, not a sprint, as he said. So Vu, with that, thank you so much for being with us today and for all that you do, both as a physician and uh, as a co-founder of Go One. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much for having me. And with that, I'm Shivriglani. Thanks for checking out today's show. Remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. <laughs>